This is John Darnell from the Mountain Goats. You're listening to Vegan Radio on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM. The king of the jungle was asleep in his car When your chances fall in your lap like that You gotta recognize them for what they really are Nobody in this house wants to own up to the truth Crawl in shotgun and reach into his mouth. Grab hold of one long, sharp tooth and hold on. Let go of that lion's tooth. It's time for another episode of Vegan Radio on WXOJLP Northampton. Actually, this isn't WXOJLP Northampton. This is me, Derek. And I'm sitting at Vegan Radio headquarters in an undisclosed location, somewhere miles below the ground. And I'm wearing nothing but underwear as penance for forgetting to press the record button at the beginning of our show. You know you're jonesing for tofu. But it's okay. I remembered after we started uh, playing the pre-recorded interview with our very, very special guest, John Darnell from the Mountain Goats. And uh, by that time, all hell had broken loose. But it's okay. Today's show, we have John Darnell from the Mountain Goats, and we have Brenda Davis. And it's an exciting show, action-packed. And uh, the missing news and stuff at the beginning of the show won't be much of a problem. I'll just throw in a few more Mountain Goats songs for your entertainment. Because I know you Mountain Goats fans, you're all crazy. Coming from all over the place to attend the Zoop Festival at Farm Sanctuary this weekend. And uh, very loyal, dedicated fans. So I know you'll listen through this podcast. Because at the end, we have a special treat for you Mountain Goat fans. And by the end, anyone who is a Mountain Goat fan surely will be. Anyway... Coming up this weekend, June 23rd, at Woodstock Sanctuary, which is in Woodstock, New York, is the June Jamboree from 11 to 4. There's going to be bluegrass music. There's going to be food. The Vegan Monsters are going to be preparing some food. And there's going to be all kinds of other fun stuff. Check out our show notes for a link to that event. And But as I was saying, last weekend I was at the Zoop Festival. It was quite a event at Farm Sanctuary in Watkins Glen, New York. And uh, there was a concert with the three... Well, there's two members of the Mountain Goats, John Darnell and Peter Hughes. John is a main singer-songwriter, and Peter joins him on tours to play bass. But in this case, they both played separate sets because Peter has his own music, and John played a solo set, and then they had another friend from North Carolina named Perry Wright who played a opening set that was saturday night then there was a bonfire and some camping and sunday night was another set by john darnell and in this case he um played a fundraising set where his fans could request songs by paying for them and all the money went to farm sanctuary so his set of music on sunday night was kind of eclectic and fan driven and probably one of the highlights of uh live mountain goat music 
for the diehard fans because they got to hear old songs that in some cases had never even been rec- played live before. So John had to go back to his uh, his oeuvre and pick out these songs. He actually had to download one song from iTunes so he could learn it because <laughs> he didn't have a copy of it anymore. Um, other than that, uh, I'm just going to get straight to the interview with John. Um, I had a really great time with him. He's a really great guy. I took him out and photographed him with some farm animals. There will be a link to those photographs on uh, the Vegan Radio show notes at veganradio.com. And then I got a chance to interview him. And after that interview, the uh, actual recording of the show started so you will be able to hear the rest of the show as it was live with Megan and uh, Scott isn't here for the show today so all you fans of Scott will be disappointed but Megan and I do our best to carry the show without him so without further ado here's Johnny Donier how did you end up here at Farm Sanctuary doing a show? Well, I've uh, been a supporter for a long time, and uh, Joan Gussett contacted me a couple tours back and said, we'd love to show you the facility. You're going to be in the Ithaca area. And my uh, tour manager was really on-the-ball guy, and he was interested in seeing it. So we came here uh, on our day off. I had the best off day on tour I've ever had. And, uh, and I mentioned, you know, we'd like to try it sometime. And uncharacteristically, I followed through <laughs> and uh, said, so we should set this up. We should talk about this. And it came together pretty quickly. I was in Alaska in, I think, April, started emailing about it, got the idea, set a date, and, and that was that. Nice. You were going to tell us a story about how you became vegetarian? I was a big meat eater. You know, really enjoyed meat, special ordered you know, steaks from Omaha and stuff. And I went to play two shows, one at the Middle East in Cambridge and one at the Knitting Factory in New York. The New York show was first, and then the next night was uh, at the Middle East with Magnetic Fields. This was in January 96. If you lived in the Northeast in January 96, you might remember a whole lot of snow <laughs> at one point. And uh, it was the biggest blizzard that the city had seen in quite a few years. I caught like a green turtle, I think it was, from Cambridge back to New York City. And as we were rolling in, the snow was getting heavier and heavier. And when we pulled into the station, the driver said, so all flights have been canceled uh, out of New York, so whatever you were going to do, you know, get to your house quick because all, all the transportation going to stop running in. Wow. So I got to where I was staying in Astoria, Queens, and I was snowed in for a couple of days. It was, it was, there was five or six feet of snow in the streets. It was crazy. Although I remember hearing from a friend who's actually here tonight, who lived in a very specific neighborhood of Williamsburg, that it was the one neighborhood in the city that did get plowed. <laughs> <laughs> but so I was snowed in, but the video story on the street was open, so I just went to go get some videos to watch. There was nothing to do, you know, but sit around and watch videos. So I rented this video called Brother's Keeper, which is a documentary about these uh, illiterate farmer brothers somewhere in upstate New York, probably not too far from here, who were very, very old. There were like six of them. They all shared a bed. They... Uh, spoken dialect that nobody can understand <laughs> and they made their living by farming uh, mainly pigs and selling them at market right and uh, it was not a not a vegetarian movie or anything it was it was about how one of them gets charged with murder uh, and the whole town sort of rallies around them even though it was pretty clear that 
one of the brothers had killed one of the others, probably because he'd gone and gotten, he was getting senile, and they put him out of his misery, you know. But but it was hard to say, because they couldn't really testify on their own behalf. Right. So that was the plot of the movie. <laughs> There's an incidental scene, just showing you scenes from their lives, where they're taking a hog to market, and they get the hog in the back of a truck, you know, hog gets in the truck, and they got out a rifle, and pointed it at him, and he sniffed it because he clearly expected some food to come out of it. And they took aim, but it wasn't good aim. And they hit him well, and the pig screamed, and I just freaked out. <laughs> so yeah, no, I didn't freak out right at that moment, but I was like, I was appalled. It was real clear was that this very intelligent animal expected food from these people who feed him, not to get shot in the head. You know, then they shoot him again, and he dies. But it just landed on me. And I, I didn't want to eat meat that night, and I thought about it on the way home. Yeah, you know. I had Omaha steaks in the freezer, and I told my roommate, you can have those. I think I'm not going to eat meat for the time being. And yeah, and that was that. That stuck. Yeah. Were you married at the time? No, I was I was dating my wife, who's been vegetarian since high school. Oh, so she was already vegetarian? Yes. So you had some contact with... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was a hater. <laughs> so I was really, you know, I was, the, the, I was one of those, you know... One of those people who like to, to harass, but one of those people who annoy me a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> so she was probably pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, you know, she's supportive. Same but, page. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever write songs that are political or have any th- references to vegetarianism or anything? No, I did stop using meat-based metaphors. Yeah. You know, I used to have songs that had, you know, now I won't, I, I avoid, you know... Uh, I can't think of any offhand, but there's some fairly commonly What's, uh, used. People were yelling pork chop last night. Well, that's a song that Peter wrote. Uh, that's oh, okay. from his old band. Uh, it is a <laughs> hilarious song. He should have played it. <laughs> no, I did write one that I thought was really good, but but that's sort of not my style. You right. know, I have a lot of political beliefs, but that's not what I do. I I, I write songs about the human heart and uh, you know about romantic stuff and, and loneliness, and and I don't. Uh, you know that that's not where where my gifts lie. I don't think. Seems that you have a lot of irony in your songs. So. Yeah, yeah. I did have a song about pigs going to slaughter uh, that I never released. That was a sad and good song. Uh, yeah. But uh, so it's not because you find that stuff hard to write about. It's just not what you're interested it's, in. Yeah, writing. it's not what I. It's not how I. I don't think I'd be that effective. You know, there's there's people who can do that, but I, I do something else. Yeah. So you said you started making cassettes back in the early 90s? Yeah, I was part of the uh, cassette trading underground. <laughs> and people just caught on and yeah, well, kind of an underground sensation? Another person who's here tonight, Tim Adams, uh, ran a, a label and distro out of Chicago called Ajax, who just loved my early tapes and were pimping them real hard. And, uh, and he put out my second 7-inch and then my first full-length album. So that was how that worked. And you have quite a following these days. I do all right. <laughs> it's nice. Apparently, the when you started sell, telling people about this show, they it sold out pretty quick. Yeah, it was people, awesome. And getting to Watkins Glen isn't very easy. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's not in the, not close to any big cities or anything. So. That's part of the charm. And this festival is called Zoop after one of the goats here at the sanctuary. The peg leg fellow. Did you have anything to do with naming the? festival no that was joan's idea joan's idea she said, we're gonna name it after that goat that you took a liking to so you did take a liking to oh yeah i mean i, I, mean, I liked a lot of them i like uh, jerry lee and 
Elvis. <laughs> Those guys are great. Those are but Zub, cows. I mean, Zub has yeah. a peg leg. He's got a little uh, a piece of a crutch, you know, in, in place of his his hoof. And I just think that's so game. You know, it's really nice. So after your you started doing the cassettes, and then you started doing CDs. Did you get put on a big label, or you're still on? Very slowly. Uh, I was in no hurry. You know, there was a lot of people trying to make a career out of music uh, from the whole scene I came up in. Not directly my scene, but the the broader scene. But I wasn't really interested in that for a long time. Uh, to me, the way to do it is to wait until there's actually demand, rather than to go and try and create demand. Right. That's and so, so I would tour when I had time off from work, you know, or if I could get it, or I'd work part-time so that I'd be able to tour. But uh, but I didn't want to do this as a full-time job. It just didn't seem, you know, these people who are barely able to get by, who live on tour, that's not, you know, that's not what... It's I, not an easy lifestyle. No. it's Some people love it. I do enjoy playing shows, but I don't really love touring. I was actually ready to pack it in at one point when 4AD... The label I'm on now called up. Now, it's a legendary English label. Uh, nobody who grew up listening to the music I listened to could possibly say anything but yes, thank you. And 4AD <laughs> comes calling. So, so they put out an album called Tallahassee that we recorded in 2001, and it did well enough for us to keep going. And we're now working on our fifth album for them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who were your influences? I don't really believe in influence because uh, I don't think I don't think I took my guitar style from anything, but not really knowing how to play. You yeah, know, and most of my influence are literary. I think John Berryman, uh, Joan Didion, um, Lou Reed, maybe. But yeah, I don't know because I listen to a lot of music, very little of which sounds like what I do. Has it been easy for you to eat vegetarian on tour? No, it's very hard. It it's, is. If if I was a full blown vegan, it would be even harder. I spent my first year in denial about some stuff. You know, it's like you know. Rumors spread. It's like, well, gelatin's not necessarily <laughs> beef derived. You go, ah. oh, well, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, it gets easier as you get practice, you know. But it's so easy to eat very unhealthy uh, on the road, and it's still, it's still hard to eat healthy on the road for me. You know, in other countries, it's easier. Uh, you know, in England, things are clearly marked with a green V. You know that you can buy. But yeah, it's a challenge. Have you had uh, fans that have? come to vegetarianism because of anything that you've done? Evidently so. I mean, it's like I don't preach about it, but they hear what I have to say sometimes. I did write one thing in a liner note shortly after uh, the, the first album I released after I stopped eating meat. Just a little note in the in the liner notes. And I have had people do it. Um, I hear from Vegan Outreach. Uh, I link to them from my site. They let me know when they get requests you know, for starter packets, and they get a lot. Which is awesome, I and mean, she's just great, you know. And I I credit that to the fact that even though we often feel a sense of urgency in getting the message out, you attract more flies with honey than vinegar, <laughs> right? And uh, and so you set the information out there without saying anything about it, and then people who have what Vaishnavas describe as an inclination towards something yeah. have in the Hare Krishnas talk about how you ha- everybody has a little. Uh, devotional creeper you know like a, a, a plant like a pea plant throws out a creeper to grab a hold of something right you know and uh and when they feel that you know they can choose to nurture it or not but you can't make them do that you right. know you can't you can't i mean yeah nobody, i don't think you can get people to go vegan or vegetarian through but i do think you know the people who feel the urge to preach are also playing a role because 
every little bit of water that lands on a seed helps it in some way, you yeah. know, whether it comes from a big spray, you know, <laughs> or, or a little slow trickle. But, uh, but yeah, so apparently I do have some, some people who, who've come to vegetarianism because of me, and that's one of the very best things about what I, about what I do. This event at Farm Sanctuary is probably one of the bigger uh, vegetarian outreach things you've done. It's like the only. Yeah, hopefully it'll <laughs> Although I get nominated for uh, Peta 2's Sexiest Vegetarian <laughs> every year, and I encourage you to vote for me, because okay. <laughs> I am the world's sexiest vegetarian. Uh, I, I think so. Well, except for Linda Blair. She's good. Yeah. There's there's a male and female category, <laughs> right. so you don't have to go up against her. At least. <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic might give yeah, you a Yeah, you can be run for my money. money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, great. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to tell our listeners? Visit Farm Sanctuary if you are... I mean, I'm assuming that most of your listeners I don't know, listening to vegan radio are, are vegans. Right? Yeah, <laughs> well, we, we have radio listeners. Um, you know, our, we have a radio bro- broadcast in Northampton, which I hope reaches some people that aren't, but I, I imagine most of our podcast listeners are. Well, if you are or you aren't, but especially if you are, you should come to Farm Sanctuary. It's so wonderful. You know, it's, it's one of those things like when you... You know, I know where a listener might live, but you know, if you visit New York City and you have a list of vegetarian restaurants, it's so nice to go to a place and not have to ask. You right. know, oh, can I eat this? And have to worry, and you get out your, you know, you get used to it. It's not like you're in a constant fretting state. You know, but at the same time, when you go to a place where you look at the whole menu and you go, I can eat everything on this menu, that is just nice. You know, it's really just really comforting and great. Can find sanctuary. You're not in a position of having any difference. Everybody's on the same page, you know, and we all have different views of how how we eat informs our lives and stuff, but but it's it's nice to be among your people, you know. It's yeah, and, and among your animals. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like coming to these to sanctuary. The animals is really, are your people. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. It reminds you that, that it matters and that you know and that it's about compassion. There's something odd going on out there? I think Oh, I thought that was someone's tent blowing away. <laughs> <laughs> We're gazing out on a field full of tents as the assembled yeah, faithful. It's a big uh, camping night. trip out here. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to interview with us. Pleasure is mine, Derek. Look forward to seeing you out on the we'll road. See you there, man. And you're listening to WXOJLP Northampton 103.3 FM. This is Vegan Radio. That was John Darnell interview from the Zoop Festival at Farm Sanctuary over the past weekend and we're going to play a little uh, mountain goats music for you and then we're going to have registered vegan nutritionist brenda davis on for some q and a this is the magpie from the mountain goats Feed the kittens in the kitchen Set food out for the strays Try hard to do your best The magpie will have his way Fill your mouth with berries
go down on all fours. And when the cherry's white with blossoms, be ready and be brave. And remember what we had here when there was something left to save. That was the Mountain Goats, John Darnielle, vegetarian extraordinaire. Brenda Davis, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Brenda. Hi. How you been? Good. I can I can just barely hear you. I think I'm going to switch from my headset to my regular phone. Okay. okay. Do you want us to make small talk? Sure. <laughs> um, <let's> <laughs> so, Megan, what have you been up to? Oh, can you hear me? Many things. I can hear Hello? you. Can you hear us? Hello. Hello? 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 Uh-oh. Oh, Technical difficulties <laughs> on Brenda's end. So... I'm not going to hear from... Well, Brenda Davis is the author of the book uh, Becoming Vegan and also a book on diabetes. Hello? Hello? Can you hear us? Hello? Did she just hang up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy. Yep, I think... Hello? Hello? Yes. Can you hear oh, us? Oh, I think my phone must have died, the other one. So sorry about that. That's, That's okay. Right. I just went and got another phone and picked it up. This is how our show always goes. Yeah. It's <laughs> always one or two things like this. You're playing this. right into our format for us. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just talking okay. about your books? Yeah. Becoming Vegan and uh, Defeating Diabetes. We've we got a lot of questions for you. We do? Okay, good. Oh, okay. sure. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anything that you want to do you want to... Um, start off with before we ask you some questions? Anything you want to say? Uh, not really, other than just maybe I could fill, fill you in on on what I've been doing in the last little while. Actually, uh, spending some time working in the Marshall Islands on a diabetes research project. Mm-hmm. And also uh, writing another book right now. Oh, great. Should be out probably in, I don't know, four months or so. And what's that going to be about? It's, uh, it's about raw food. Oh. Really? Have you become yeah. one of those raw foodists? <laughs> a little stretch for me, but anyway, it'll be quite interesting, I think. Are you are you doing raw foods, or are you just writing a book about it? Are you a um, nudist, Buddhist I'm raw foodist? gradually transitioning, and uh, I probably am doing about 80% raw right now. Wow. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've been doing. Really? Yep, except for coffee and scones, I'm raw. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably <laughs> true. <laughs> Um, what have you What have you come up with your research in the Marshall Islands about diabetes? Well, in in the Marshall Islands, it's a for people that don't know where it is. It's about a couple thousand miles west of Hawaii, going towards Australia, and uh, directly north of New Zealand, just above the equator. So it's in the middle of nowhere, and it was in the late, uh, uh, I think, nineteen forties, early fifties. It was actually used as atomic bomb testing grounds. Wow! Uh, by the U.S. Department of Defense. And uh, since there's a compact now with the U.S. that U.S. provides a lot of a lot of monies and so forth, and the people have a, a lot of similar struggles to what our Aboriginal people have, and about 50% of the adults over 35 or so 
have type 2 diabetes. And for those above 15, it's about 30%. So it's a, some of the highest rates of type 2 diabetes in the world. And, and what you see is a popular, and what I'm doing there is we're doing research to try to reverse the diabetes epidemic is basically what we're doing, using very aggressive lifestyle intervention. And, and just to give you a tiny bit of background, these folks, uh, basically their, their diet in the past, before we ever showed up, was, was plants that were on the island naturally, coconut and pandanus and breadfruit and so forth, and fish, and that's, they lived off the land, that was it, that, that was their diet, there was no processed food, and then after, after the 50s, they, they started getting uh, food packages to help, to help them, and the food packages were things like spam and white rice and other mm, non-perishable foods, and their diet today is just unbelievable, it, it, the children especially, they just, they eat junk all day, and and they, start, they might start the day with ramen noodles with dry Kool-Aid powder sprinkled on top. Oh, my God. And then a popsicle on the way to school and a pop. This sounds very similar to me, like um, the Native American situation. It is where very na- similar. Native with American the, the health. When I said Aboriginals, that's... Right. We, yeah, the Native, Native American, Native Canadian yep. population. Right. Very, very similar. And that's so the way now it is. the diet, they basically eat junk food plus white rice and meat. And the meat that they eat is actually the the um, the worst meats. You you can think of things like spam and the can- canned meats, but also the parts of animals we don't want, like turkey tails and pig's feet and pig's intestines and pig's Sounds brains. Sounds awful. And all of the, 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 just the worst things you can imagine, They uh, you know, turkey hearts and so forth. And so they, they eat these, what we call variety meats and white rice, and some chicken and some fish and other things as well. But the meal is basically white rice and meat. And so the disease rates are just unbelievable. And they do very little physical activity now. It's not like it was in the past. And so we see, we, we see people developing diabetes very rapidly. When people are sort of genetically designed to survive famine and to live off the land, they actually develop these diseases of lifestyle more rapidly than what we would in North America, for example. Right. And uh, so it's, it's really quite a situation. So we went in, and we've got this project going where we bring people in, and it's, it's a proper research study. So we have a control group and an intervention group and all that sort of stuff, or several control groups and several intervention groups. And the intervention groups are put through... Uh, lifestyle education, including uh, teaching them to cook healthful foods, uh, exercise classes and lectures and, and uh, learning to read labels. And they're, they're, I don't think they'll ever go back to living off the land. There are too many people on a small island to do that. But what they need to know is that there are unhealthy imported foods and there are healthy choices as well they can make. They can eat beans instead of, you know, uh, turkey tails. Right. So, um, so we're teaching them how to do that, and their response has just been unbelievable in terms of the, the changes that happen in very, very short order. They're off their medications, off their insulin, off whatever they're on practically. Their pains all disappear. And for them, it's a shock because they're, the, the course of diabetes is a very, very uh, rapid downhill, uh, you know, escalating disease that, that's just... Uh, just so sad because what happens there is people get their limbs cut off of, 
as soon as they get an infection, they don't care for it. And so the biggest surgery on the island is cutting limbs off. And Mm. there's no dialysis. So people that start to go into renal failure just, you know, die unless they can afford to fly off the island, which not that many people can. And so what, what people have seen there is you get diabetes, you, you get sicker and sicker and you get your legs cut off and you die. And so for them to see people actually recovering is just, just shocking to the people there. They, they, you know, even to the doctors there, they, they had no idea that people could actually, um, recover or, or, or improve, uh, when they have type 2 diabetes. And so it's, it's quite a revelation and they get quite excited about it. And, and so we're really hoping that in the long term we can uh, create a program that will be sustainable for their Ministry of Health and, and that all the people on the island will have access to it. Awesome. That so that's great. what I, I was there eight months last year and I continue to go for on a sort of one month here and one month there kind of basis uh, at the present time. So. Now, did you get sent out there because of the the book you wrote with Neil Barnard, the Defeating Diabetes book? Yeah, it was actually with Tom Barnard, and it was... Tom uh, Barnard? Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what got me into oh, the project, man. because the medical director of the project had quite recently been to uh, a conference where I was uh, with a key speaker, and I, I did a lecture on di- diabetes, and he bought, bought a copy of my book. And he said, you know, this is kind of what we want to model this research on, is, is the principles in this book. And so when they were looking for a lead nutritionist for the, for the project, they, they just thought they would call me and see if, if I would consider it. And uh, I thought, you know, it's, it's quite a unique opportunity to, to, to help people. Brenda, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I'm curious about um, type 1 diabetes and if veganism and healthy eating can have any effect on type 1 diabetes because I've heard about this, you know, the great effects on type 2, but I've actually had a question from a friend who has a friend um, and and she would like to know. Good good question. In terms, are you talking about in terms of development of type 1 or sort of the course of the disease or both? Both. Well, in terms of development of the disease, type 1 tends to be a bit of an autoimmune disease, and and so it can be the body attacking the pancreas and killing the cells that produce insulin. Mm -hmm. It can be a virus that gets into the body and attacks the pancreas. But it can also be proteins in the body that that the body treats as, um, you know, uh, uh, foreign substances and sometimes with with, um, milk proteins, for example, there's been a little bit of link to type 1 diabetes, uh, particularly certain types of milk proteins. And so the, the body gets, gets a sort of allergic to those and treats the uh, beta cells in a very similar way. Uh, and, and so there, there's some thinking in that direction, but generally the development of type 1 diabetes is far less a life, you know, induced by what you, you know, your lifestyle choices than type 2. Type 2 is pretty much almost at least 90% of the time due to your lifestyle choices, whereas type 1 is, is not. It's a disease that you develop often in childhood, and it's often a, you know autoimmune uh, mm-hmm. onset. Now, as for the, the, the treatment and the course of the disease, uh, diet is actually hugely important for both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. In type 1, there's really virtually no insulin production, so you're... The foods that you eat can affect uh, so much the way that your your blood sugars 
the way that you control your blood sugars and and so if you, and also the way that your cells work and and every every single cell of your body is a product of what you eat so so for a person with type 1 diabetes if if they're living a lifestyle where they're active and they're eating a very high fiber uh, high antioxidant um, diet uh, they they will reduce the risk of complications greatly okay and and that's the goal in type 1 because you want to live a healthy life for as long as possible and you don't want to become blind and and end up with renal failure kidney failure uh, you don't you don't want to see those things happening the best way to avoid those things happening are to to have you know extremely good control of your disease and so in terms of 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 type 2, you, you can actually, in many cases, reverse the disease through diet and lifestyle. You can't do that with type 1. But with type 1, you can simply uh, have tremendously better uh, course of a disease and, and, uh, and have a much healthier, happier life. And in type 1, one thing that I've actually seen with people experimenting with high-fiber vegan diets is great reduction in the insulin they require. Mm. Uh, and and I actually, to be honest, the, the greatest reductions I've seen is with a raw diet. <laughs> oh, uh, really? It's it's amazing what people have been able to accomplish eating raw foods uh, with type one uh, diabetes. So, but it's something you really need to learn about, and and it's not something that you should probably embark upon just just uh, with without doing a lot of reading and, and right. being aware of, of of balancing and so forth. And and you do have to be. Uh, most type 1 diabetics really do understand how to control blood sugars and really understand if they're getting hypoglycemic, they need less insulin. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, uh, but it, it is something that I think has tremendous potential, and I think we'll actually see an increase in interest um, with type 1 diabetes and diet, uh, uh, in, and vegan and raw food diets over the next, you know, couple of decades. Great. I have another question for you. Um, Concerning veganism and children, um, if a child is used to eating a vegetarian diet and not a very, not a varied vegetarian diet, someone you know, a child who's kind of picky who eats a lot of peanut butter and jelly, um, yeah. do you have any suggestions like how to get them excited or transfer them over to a vegan diet? And um, do you think calcium is a concern for that child? Um. Yes, I, I. First of all, transitioning a child. I think the most important thing with children is to is to get them involved with what with food choice, food preparation. Uh, get excited yourself. Keep don't give up. Keep offering foods. If you have to camouflage things in smoothies and in uh, smooth soups, uh, you can put a lot of things into smoothies and soups avocados and flaxseed oil and you name it, you can get it in there, um, nuts and seeds and so forth. So I think if you have to, you can camouflage the stuff. Uh, but, what if but it's a 10-year-old? But don't give up on, on continuing to offer it. And don't assume that children automatically are going to hate spinach. Or, or I, I, You know, I have a story to tell about spinach. When my kids were six and nine years old, my daughter wanted a bedtime snack. And she said to me, Mom, do we have any, do we have any spinach? I said, well, I think we have one batch in the fridge. Oh, good. She said, I really feel like some spinach. And she, she cooked it with a little bit of garlic and, you know, just, just sautéed it. And she sat down at the table and she, she started eating this batch of spinach. And my son, six years old, walks up the stairs and he sees what she's eating. And he said, 
You have spinach? He said, well, is there any more? And she <laughs> said, well, actually, she said, I just cooked the last batch. And he burst into tears. <laughs> ah. <laughs> that's funny. And I thought, that's fun to put in the Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> <laughs> but I think sometimes it's your attitude towards food and just to really continue to to be excited yourself, to grow foods, to help let children pick the vegetables out of the grocery store, let them help prepare the foods. Those are all really important things. Now, all that having been said, if your kid is going through a, st- uh, a stretch where they really re- are refusing to eat these kinds of foods, then I would suggest um, uh, a multivitamin mineral supplement mm-hmm. that you should be providing on a daily basis. And, uh, and just know that food, kids do go through food jags and, and they will recover. The, the question of calcium, yeah, be concerned about calcium. Children, this is, this is the time where children need, need to uh, lay down uh, bone. And, and there are, during the, the, the youthful years and the years of adolescence, it's very important that we, we lay down as much bone as possible to protect us from osteoporosis and such in later years. And so we do need to provide sufficient calcium. And I know there are some cultures that actually do very well on very low intakes, but they tend to be super absorbers of calcium. Mm-hmm. They're very efficient at absorbing calcium. Uh, Caucasians tend not to be, you know, North Americans tend, tend not to be quite so much so. And the other thing to be aware of is uh, in a lot of places in Canada and, in, of course, in the U.S., uh, we have to be concerned about vitamin D, and we're learning more and more about the health consequences of insufficient vitamin D. So it's important, calcium's important, but, but coupling it with vitamin D is equally as important. So a couple of things for parents to be aware of is, um, you know, we have, human beings have absolutely no requirement for cow's milk. It would be, we have no more requirement for cow's milk than we do for moose milk or deer milk or any, the milk of any other mammal. Um, so it, it, we, do, we don't need dairy products to get calcium, but we do need to be aware of sources of calcium. And, and there, are, there are all sorts of good plant sources of calcium, but there are also some decent fortified foods, like fortified soy milks, which, which have calcium and vitamin D added. And those you can certainly use in a n- number of ways, from making pancakes and smoothies and cream soups, and, you know, and of course using them on cereals and such, if children don't, don't want to just drink them. Is there, uh, is there and, anything besides? And the other foods, leafy greens. There are some leafy greens that have a ton of calcium, but we can't get it. We can't really absorb it very well because they're high in something called oxalic acid. And those are things like spinach and uh, beet greens, Swiss chard. They're, they're quite high in oxalic acid. So even though there's a lot of calcium there, we can't really rely on them as good calcium sources. What would you uh, suggest? Bro- oh, well, yeah, on the other hand, things like kale and broccoli and Chinese greens like bok choy and gailan and all of <laughs> these things actually have very available, uh, very very available calcium as as much as a double uh, the availability as cow's milk. Uh, it's in the range of fifty to seventy percent, whereas cow's milk is thirty two to thirty four percent. So these are excellent sources of calcium, available calcium, and then other things like. The one thing about a vegan diet is almost everything you eat that's a good, healthy, whole food has some calcium, whether it's beans, whether it's, it's you know, oranges or almonds or, you know, just about everything you're consuming ha- contributes to your calcium intake. And, uh, you know, unlike meat has very little, if any, calcium in it, and it, 
causes you to urinate out more calcium. So you actually need more when you eat a high meat, high salt diet. And that's the other thing. Don't eat too much. Don't take in too much salt, which usually comes in processed foods anyway. So if you're eating a healthy diet, it tends not to be too high. But but if you're eating a lot of processed foods, it, it actually increases your requirement for calcium. Because you end up you know, losing more in your urine. Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I we're running out of time. I had one question I really wanted to ask you while while we have you. Um, I don't know if it's because of the humane meat craze lately or whatever, but um, I'm finding I keep running into more and more people that say they used to be vegetarian or vegan and they had like problems with energy and uh, and then they started eating ostrich meat or something weird and and, uh, and then they got their energy back and that's why they're not vegan anymore. Do you think there are people with body types that actually need some kind of animal protein, or is that they're just that they just didn't try hard enough to get what they needed, or what's your feeling yeah. on that? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't believe in the you know that there's this body you know blood type and this blood type that they require different things. I mean, if you if you take something like an Ornish diet or a McDougal diet or whatever, it, it, it doesn't seem to matter what your blood type is. Your cholesterol goes down and you get healthier. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, I, I do think that a lot of people do uh, end up giving up on vegetarian or vegan because they're not doing it right, uh, and they're lacking in iron and zinc. And some of trace minerals are, are can be an issue on a vegan or vegetarian diet, and you need to be including beans, nuts, seeds in your diet. To, you know, you can't just switch from meat and potatoes to pasta and bagels. You're not going to get what you need, and so. It's important, or even from meat and potatoes to a, a veggie fruit diet, you have to be a little bit careful to include things that are richer in uh, trace minerals. And things like pumpkin seeds, or you know, and different nuts are can be can give a, a great contribution there. But legumes are a very very important source, and uh, especially for children, they need a, a little bit more protein uh, per pound of body weight, and they need uh, a good amount of, of trace minerals. So I think that it's Rather than giving up on the vegetarian diet, to try to try to really look at what you're doing and see if if you can do something a little bit differently. And can our listeners contact you at your website if they need you some bet. advice if they're wavering on the edge of veganism and ostrich meat? Oh no! <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to include uh, links to the, your website in our show notes, and we have your books online for people to. Uh, oh, thank you very much. Bye for free. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, becoming vegan is a good read for people that are yeah, wobbling a little I really bit. Love really that needing book. to learn more about you know the specifics of a healthy diet. Yeah, it's a great book. It's one of the staples of my vegan library. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but um, it was so great to talk to you again, and hopefully, we'll get you on another show soon. When yeah, when your sure book comes out, you should you. let us know, and we'll we'll help you promote it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Brenda. No problem. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. That was Brenda Davis. And uh, these are the mountain goats to take us out. Remember, you can find out about anything we talked about today at veganradio.com. And uh, you're listening to WXOJLP Northampton 103.3 FM. And uh, this is Megan. And Derek. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. We are going to have Dennis Cromit, local musician, 
guitar player for the Winter Pills, who has recently gone vegan, thanks Yay! to the efforts of Vegan Radio. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and in uh, the episode after that, we're going to have cookbook author Joanne Stepaniak. Up next is Jay Deacon with Spirit. On the day my lung collapses, it's not going to be much different. On the day that Dennis Brown's habits caught up with him, school children sang in choirs. And out behind the Chinese restaurants, guys were jumping into dumpsters. And the stench was overbearing. They were past the point of caring On the day my habits catch up with me I'll be down among the jumpers And now as promised We have a very special Mountain Goats recording From the Zoop Festival 2007 Sunday night And this song is called The Alphonse Mambo and you'll hear the introduction. John talks a little bit about why he loves Farm Sanctuary so much. So enjoy this and tune in next time for the next episode of Vegan Radio. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Yes, thank you, thank you all. You've been a wonderful audience. How special this place is really registered with everybody. It's just so awesome. I hope you get to see the cows who are so large. I can't understand the largeness. You know, I hope you got to see. We're holding this very, and uh, yeah, this is the most special place in the world to me. Uh, I'd say it's my Disneyland, but it's not you on so. <laughs> The gorge is awesome, too. Yeah, oh man, the gorge is right, too, yeah. But it doesn't, it, it lacks cows. <laughs>